If you can recognize where there's things where you need to change your behaviors, I would never say change who you are, but change your behaviors depending on the situation, then anyone can do it. So I've kind of gone down that path. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Min Bogota. Now, Min was at Deloitte for 25 years. He worked in four different service lines, including enterprise risk and forensic. And in his last role, he was the director of the analytics lab and teacher at Deloitte University. Since then, Min has helped over 14 startups and scale-ups grow, pivot, and connect to the business network of contacts that he's built up over 30 years. He has a passion for telling stories around data, helping drive business insights, and telling great dad jokes to his 25,000 LinkedIn followers. In fact, yesterday, he bumped into one of his librarian contacts who asked him, could he find any books about cliffhangers? And she said, Min recently joined the studio as the managing director of our idea lab. He'll look after all the multiple ideas that we're doing at Nobody Studios to spearhead the direction of concept phase and the different products that we're trying to bring to the community. We're delighted to have him in the studio. But before we learn more, let's go back for where it all started for him. I remember my school reports and my teacher used to pretty much every year, right? Min is very well behaved in school and in class, but he's rather quiet. Unless, you know, I ask him a question, he won't respond. Fast forward to today, I would say, you know, people might be quite surprised, but that's still the real person that I am. But what I've had to learn along the way is that's fine, but there's some behaviors that you just need to kind of practice and learn to actually get ahead in your career. Over the years, particularly in the first 25 years, as you said, having worked at Deloitte for a very long time, that transition from quite technical roles that I had. And as you know, as you progress through your career, they're like, okay, get your hands off the keyboard now. We've got more junior people. You need to move more into leadership roles, management, business development. And that was something that was totally new to me, as I said, kind of being the, the introvert I've always been. And that's the behaviors that I've had to sort of unlearn and then sort of, you know, see, right, how, how can I do that? Be my authentic self, but again, just learn what it was that I needed to do to do that. How did you get started with that? In many ways, people who process a lot internally, it's a really important part of every team to sort of make sure that those voices are heard and space is created for people to sort of speak up and offer that insight, right? It's invaluable, but it is could be an inhibitor for folks that sort of have that sort of style. So for you, like, what were some of the things that helped you, first of all, like recognize that within yourself, but then start to get outside your comfort zone and find ways to sort of, if you will, speak up or interject or, you know, make sure to get your ideas across. What were some of the techniques you tried? Part of it was just, I was super fortunate in the leaders that I worked for and they knew my actual style so they would sort of coach me but also because again it's one of the things where unless someone says Min what do you you think as I was saying around you know my, my my days from school you know if there's more than three people in a room I would always be like okay right you know and maybe it's back going back to my traditional sort of Indian tradition of you know you don't speak over your elders and you know you're more senior people 
only answer when someone asks you a question. My previous bosses kind of knew that and said, okay, I'm going to sort of bring you out a little bit more. So they would deliberately, when we're in a meeting, you know, of more than three people, because that was my comfort zone, right? Then they would deliberately sort of stop and say, okay, right, we've heard from everyone. I mean, what do you think? And that way I slowly sort of, you know, started to come out of my shell a little bit more. And then, you know, sometimes even say something before I was even sort of prompted. And I think kind of learning that behavior when I was fortunate to then start my own teams. And again, just because of the, the sort of nature of the sorts of things I've done in the past from the ethical hacking and the, the forensic stuff where, again, you get lots of sort of, uh, you know, traditional introverts who are sort of very technical, but not really kind of, you know, out there shouting from the, the rooftops. I kind of said, OK, if I'm like this, they'll probably be similar. So just understanding their behaviors, I would do the same thing to them. You know, I would take them along to meetings and I would say, John, what do you think? And kind of just carried on that. So I think that helped. It's like with anything, if you can recognize where there's things where you need to change your behaviors, I would never say change who you are, but change your behaviors depending on the situation, then anyone can do it. So I've kind of gone down that path. It's really interesting though, when you talk about as you got into a leadership role, it's one of these things I always find that's sort of contrary in a way is that so many leaders sometimes don't make space for their team to talk. And yet for that style of leadership, it becomes a reflex almost for you because you recognize other people who have a similar style and you know to call upon them because you've been that person. But also even for just people who are a little bit more, you know, they like to share or openly share. When you have a leader that is actively going around the room sort of pulling, if you will, information from other people, that creates a very unique style of team, right? Where everyone feels like they can speak up. It actually creates a, a dynamic and a safety and also like a curiosity, if you will, to the work where people feel like, well, you know, there might be someone talking a lot, but Min's probably going to call on me or he'll make space for me or because that's a bit of your, your style or the new behaviors you're learning. So as you start, you know, a lot of these roles that you were doing were highly innovative, right? Whether it was like dealing very deeply in, in cryptography work or forensic work, or as you say, later on in your time in Deloitte, you were actually building these innovation labs all over the globe. So again, so you're taking cultural styles you have to account for. As you say, your Indian background, I grew up in Ireland, teams in America, people in Africa, all like, all over the different worlds to like bring these people together. So what were some of the, the things that you sort of, even as you started to go down this road of having to work with many different teams in many different parts of the world, what were some of the things that you had to unlearn as you were even going into creating and building those types of teams and departments and, if you will, innovation centers all over the world? One of the things was around just building the confidence in myself. Every single time I change role, so you talked about the forensic. So when I moved from the sort of uh, ethical hacking to forensic, it was like, oh my God, you know, I've kind of built up a reputation. I'm kind of known as, you know, one of the people who does this. And then I just had to throw that away and go into a brand new team. You know, they, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we've, we've got this new department. We're starting up. More and more of the information we're having to analyze isn't in someone's drawer. That's part of a fraud. It's actually uh, electronic and we need someone to kind of look at that. But also we want to think about how can we be more proactive around spotting frauds rather than 
ones that have happened for years and years and people have got away with millions and billions of pounds. So it was like, okay, I had no idea. I wasn't a specialist at all in forensic. It was quite a new field at the time anyway. But it was just, I think, a little bit of faith and also the vibes I was getting from the person that recruited me to say, I mean, I think you'll be good at this. And just because he believed in me, I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on this ride. I'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll, I'll stick it out for six months, 12 months, 13 years. I was still in that role. And, you know, doing the world's biggest fraud investigations. And like you said, you know, I was having to sort of interface with the most senior people in the organization, sitting on, you know, some really scary sort of interviews when we're kind of, you know, slapping the paper down with the evidence and things like that. And it's like with anything, if you're really passionate about something and you're you're really interested in that topic. When I was younger, I wanted to be a, a detective and a policeman. As you know, my name's Min, short for minimum. And back in the day, you had to actually uh, be a certain height to be a policeman. So uh, I'm five foot two, didn't cut it, I'm afraid. So I thought, right, I can't be a policeman. I can't kind of, you know, solve the traditional crime. I'm going to solve sort of crime through, through technology and use my techie skills for doing that. But then moving on from that, as I had to sort of say, right, okay, I'm getting more senior. I need to start recruiting some people and I need to be more out there and telling people about what this whole topic is about. So I started to have to do interviews to obviously recruit the team, which was something I'd never done before. And they give you like a standard script to say, okay, we're going to do a competency review, question one, question two, ask this, spend this much money on on this. And I'm like, man, if if I go through this, I'm going to sort of, you know, feel asleep myself, forget what the candidate yeah. is. So I was much more like, I'm going to be myself. I'd have a little look on LinkedIn see what sorts of posts they were doing, if there were any dad jokes or anything in there, where they went to university, and then, you know, what topics they were posting about. And then the walk from the elevator to the interview room, it was just like, hey, I'm just a regular guy. Genuinely show interest in the other person, because then they feel as though, hey, this person's taking interest. I would quite enjoy working with that person. And, you know, we would just go from there. Obviously, there's some mandatory things around some questions you have to ask. But again, there's there's ways and means of, of doing that. And I guess one of the things I'm particularly proud about was I didn't really change my management style throughout my whole career, but certainly through that period. And having grown the team, so you know, I spent a lot of time then growing the team because we were getting more and more business. In the 13 years I was responsible for that team, only two people ever left my team. One was because all of a sudden they had a, a little baby, so they couldn't just go on a whim to fly to, you know, Kazakhstan or wherever it was that we were doing a, a fraud. And then the second person got headhunted and they were offered double their salary. So I'm like, off you go. See if you can get me a job. <laughs> as well. So apart from that, everyone stayed. And one of the nicest things that progressed in my career was someone quite junior, I think they were like an analyst or a, or a consultant, sort of came up to me one day and they said, can I um, ask you a question? So yeah, sure. Well, what is it? They said, are you really a director? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. They're like, oh, because you don't really act like any of the other directors that I have to work with. And I said, that's the nicest thing you've ever, you know, someone's ever said to me. If I start behaving and I start sort of acting the same as them, come and have a word with me because that's not what I wanted to do. And I think that was, again, in my mind, I thought it's really about being yourself and you don't need to just conform to, okay, this is how you need to be to get ahead in life and I think a lot of people that I came across were the same they're like this is the reason why I joined the company or this department because 
I can see how you're kind of, you know, driving the passion. You've done lots of different things. So yeah, my message to anyone listening today is, you know, continue to be yourself, scare yourself as well, because I, I certainly did that. There were certainly times when I, when I moved from forensic and then again, I've got another tap on the shoulder is a bit of a pattern, as you can tell, where there was this new role that was coming out, which was never done before. And it was like, okay, you know, there's more and more of our clients and our people are wanting to know about this thing called analytics and technology. We're going to set up a hub, especially to help our, our clients better understand what some of these buzzwords uh, mean and show them the art of the possible. Would you be up for it? 12 months of comment out of forensic. And again, it was like, all I ever knew was like the hacking stuff and the forensic stuff. And now I had to be a generalist and talk about blockchain or IoT or whatever, the, and obviously artificial intelligence and, and all that stuff. And it was like, well, I kind of have a really high level understanding, but not really, but come on, let's do it. And it was a case of rather than saying, right, I need to go and move to another company to kind of do something different because the organization was so big. I said, I can just reinvent myself there. But literally being honest with you, the first three months, I was like, what have I done? Because I literally, being in a large organization where you were like the hero and everyone knows you and they kind of shake your hand as you come through, no one knew me in that particular department in consulting. You were just like literally starting again. So then you're like, okay, do I go back or shall I stick it out? And thankfully I, I stuck it out. And probably that was the highlight out of all of my careers at Deloitte because literally we went from a, a cupboard sized room that they said, you can call this the lab, off you go and work out what it is you, you're actually going to do to literally having a whole floor of Deloitte and anyone who wants to have a conversation around analytics used to come to the lab and I was kind of front and center. I used to present at conferences. None of that would have happened if I just stayed in my comfort zone. Go out and give it a go, I'd say. There's a few great lessons though there for people to sort of take in, right? Like, first of all, I think speaks to your leadership style. Often I think when people are in companies or they're to this example, this person came to you to ask you, like, you're not like the other directors I met. It's almost like there's a persona that's being created that you need to be in order to be this, this character, this recognized figure in the company. You have to adopt a set of behavior that isn't necessarily always a positive. And maybe there's forcing, for, like people feel like they have to replicate that in order to succeed. And yet what I hear in your story is, well, actually... I was just being me and I was embracing my leadership style. That's one of these things that's so hard for people sometimes to have conviction and confidence to just be themselves and lean sort of into the, their style and leverage it. As you said, even from when you're a small kid, people would have to ask you to volunteer the information and people coached you to help you through that. And now you're helping and coaching other people to not only uh, recognize it, but just to be themselves. You can see, obviously, even the evidence as you're describing is that when you create an environment where people can come in and just be themselves, they don't have to put extra energy into being a persona they think they need to be to be successful here. They can just be themselves. What a great environment to be in, right? What, what a great environment to create. And I think so many companies can sort of miss that. But it's such a powerful thing when it's role modeled, not only from the, the team leader, but it allows everybody else then to be themselves and focus their energy on being great at being themselves and contributing to the team. Yeah. 
you spend so much time at work, particularly back in the days before pandemic, where we used to actually you know, go to the office and stuff, where it's like, if you don't have that environment, people are going to you know, burn out. The sort of work we were doing, it was like super stressful because sometimes there was like a deadline from the SEC or the Department of Justice or you know, from the lawyer saying, we need it by a certain time. But again, kind of protecting your team. So sometimes I would push back and say, when are you going to review this document? Because I say, oh, we, we need this by Friday night, end of play. And I'd be like, when will you actually be reviewing this, this document? And they're like, yeah, probably like a Monday afternoon or you know, Tuesday. Like, well, actually, rather than my team having to work throughout the weekend, can we give it to you a little bit later on, on the Monday? And just because you challenge them and you say, well, when are you going to use it? They'll be like, oh, yeah, actually, that's fine. And protecting your team, I think, you know, they can see that because it's nice and you've got a little bit of goodwill. But if you're forever just pounding them as well, then they're not going to do their best work. But the other thing that came to mind as you were talking was, I think I've always tried to do, be empathetic to what people's personal circumstances are, where they are in their journey and what they actually want to do. I don't think in my whole career, actually, even as a director, told anyone actually what to do. Everyone in my team tends to always just volunteer and say, hey, man, can I take this off your hands? Would you like some help with this presentation? I'm like, hey, cool. You, if you like, you're more than welcome to do it yourself. And it's things like that, I think, where people think, okay, I feel empowered. I've got their back. But it's them kind of learning and, and practicing themselves as opposed to, oh, no, you're just a junior person. You just take notes. And I think it's that. Everyone talks about these are the right behaviors, but you've got to kind of walk the talk as well and, and kind of show people that you believe in them. So even for yourself then, right, like this pattern of constantly putting new challenges in front of yourself, getting outside your comfort zone, which you did in your time in Deloitte, but you continue to do that. So now you stepped out of those roles after you said 25 years there, and suddenly you're throwing yourself into looking for early stage businesses that you can help and can contribute your skills to. So first of all, like, what was the thinking about making that transition? And what were some of those other sort of lessons you had to learn along the way where worked with you maybe within the consulting paradigm is suddenly now you're an operator. So what were some of the things that sort of struck you, surprised yeah. you yourself as you made that next sort of uncomfortable transition? So it Two reasons for why I had decided to move from the consulting world. One was the 25-year milestone, having the, the trophy on the mantelpiece. It's like, yes, 25 years. The second was probably a bit of midlife crisis because I was 48 and a half at the time. And I thought, it's now or never. You know, I'm going to either stay here for another 15 years until I, I retire, or as I had done previously, I'm going to sort of reinvent myself again. And I was doing more and more work with startups and founders in the analytics lab, because they used to always be, rather than just talking about it, here's a slide about IoT, they would actually have real life examples, show me experiments and say, here's actually what we're doing to do predictive maintenance or whatever the topic was. And I thought, yeah, I really like that. And I really like the speed that they're just moving and pivoting. So I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to kind of work somewhere that's a little bit more sort of agile and see, see how that works. So combined with doing that, and also in the latter parts of my career at Deloitte, just because I used to meet and run so many workshops with lots of clients, but also joining the rest of the firm together, all the different analytics teams. And I was kind of known for 
if you want to know who the right person is, you need to speak to across the firm, speak to Min, because he'll know everyone. And I genuinely used to take an interest in what do people do? And a little tip I used to give everyone was when you meet someone or someone's kind of saying, well, you know, how do I kind of stand out from the crowd? It was like, what's the badge that you're wearing? When should I think about, right, if you want to speak about, if you want to know something about blockchain, for example, speak to Barry, because Barry is the guy who really, who really knows it. So I said, well, what's the badge that you wear? Obviously, mine's was uh, terrible dad jokes. They're not terrible. They're high level. <laughs> They're very good. So, you know, that was how I kind of operated. And then when I started doing the startup stuff, I just found that people kind of heard that, oh, you're out of the consulting world. I've got this like side hustle I've been doing for a while. I've got my own little startup in it, doing something really advanced in using artificial intelligence and machine learning or something. And I've contacted some potential clients because I know that they're struggling with this challenge. They're very manual and I could basically do it in a fraction of the time for a fraction of the money. But no one's, no one's picking up the phone to me or replying to my emails or my, my LinkedIn messages. And then they were like, but I noticed that you're connected with them on, on LinkedIn. Would you mind kind of seeing if you can sort of help open a door? And so that's how it started. So one, two, three, and then it kind of just grew and grew where, where people said, you know, can you help us? And I joke to people, I seem to now have made a living out of who I know as opposed to what I know anymore. But I think it's so important to keep those personal relationships. Some of these people I hadn't spoken to for years and years. And a lot of the people were obviously ex-Deloitte, which is who, who I knew. But the moment I would sort of reach out and say, hey, I don't know if you still remember me from the firm. I used to be that small man who used to run the, the lab. And they're like, I still remember my first day when I joined the firm as an analyst. And, you, you know, you came on with your robot and you did some jokes. And that was like the highlights of the whole event for me. So sometimes it's, it's great to reach out. And I would also say, don't just always just reach out straight away and say, hello, can you buy some stuff? As I jokingly say, you have to go on a few dates first before you kind of say, right, let's do something a little bit, little bit more serious now. It's really interesting, though, like, again, as you're saying, like, you're constantly putting yourself in these areas that are a little bit outside your comfort zone. And reinventing yourself like it's a word i'm hearing you say a lot where whether it's a different domain whether it's a different role whether it's actually getting outside of what a big company and going out on your own and being sort of available to all these growing companies it seems like something you're intentionally doing understanding people's psyche behind that right because it's hard personally for me one of the things I have found that has been the best source of growth for me is doing hard things, doing uncomfortable things, doing things that I've never done before. There is always that moment where you're in it and you're like, oh, this is so exciting. It's new and hard. Then there's always that like trough of disillusionment moment as you were describing one of the roles where you're three months in and you're like, oh God, why am I here yeah. doing this? And yeah. And then, you know, like you get the fingernails and you like crawl your way out of it and it builds character. I always feel like you learn so much about yourself when you go through those moments. They're important in a way because they build confidence in, you know, in yourself. And like loads of things I think of I've done. Like I still remember when I quit my last proper job and, you know, I moved country to start a, a company with two people that I totally admired and yeah. thought we were going to be the best team ever. And after six weeks, I knew straight away that we, the company wasn't going to work out. And there was moments where I was like, oh, no, like, how am I, why did I do this at City, whatever? But when I got through the sort of grieving process, it was then like, 
okay, well, I'm here. What am I going to, what am I going to make out of this? And like all of those things have really uh, helped me sort of get confidence that when it is tough, I can dig my way out somehow, right? Or there is a way out. But you seem to have that in you as well. When you introduce yourself almost as someone who was a bit more within themselves or waited to be spoken to, and and yet you're putting yourself in all these difficult situations that force you to learn, to grow, to adapt. And I'm sure there's many people out there listening who sort of feel like that and are wondering, like, how do I do that? Whether it's changing your you know, your numerous careers inside a big company to getting out of that and then working with lots of companies to grow. Like you're constantly doing this. What would be some of the tips you'd have for people who maybe are sitting there and that feels like a huge wall for them to climb? What were some of the things that helped you sort of build that muscle, if you will, or behavior ultimately in yourself that you were looking to do that? Yeah. I would say the more you can kind of practice your own story, that is great. I'll give you an example. So over the over the pandemic, many of us were we were kind of feeling a little bit out of uh, human contact. One of my friends told me about this lovely platform called Lunch Club, where you can kind of you know meet people who have similar sorts of tags as you, and you can have a chat. And as I said, and, and the theme of you know our talk is uh, being the world's biggest introvert. You know, one-to-ones I can handle all day long. I did one or two and I thought, wow, this is fascinating. This is great. Before I know it, and I looked at my stats the other day and nearly scared myself to death. I think I've done like over 350 of lunch club calls over the last two years. Because it's a great way to just actually, because you do the usual, yep, how's the weather in London? Yep, it's raining, cool. You know, you've done that bit. But then it's like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And just practicing that pitch. And sometimes you're like, yeah, I went on a bit too long there. That was a bit boring. Maybe I'll focus on, on this part here. But also kind of the listening thing to say, okay, I'm going to listen to what they say. And, you know, as I did more and more of those, I would deliberately say, okay, I'm not going to say too much about myself at all because I get quite excited and I'll just be off on one. I'll just like pause and I'll just always make sure I ask them first. And I'll keep on asking questions until they say, enough about me. Tell me a little bit about yourself and I'll make it all about them. Make it special, not just because it's a technique, you know, to kind of, you know, trick people. I think the more they speak, that makes me more comfortable as well. And then I'll sort of chime and say, yeah, this is me. Normally the, the meeting space to be, you know, between sort of 30 and 45 minutes. I've had some where they're like two hours and then they're like, actually, can we meet for a coffee? Right can, can yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is my time is much better spent than that rather than trying to be on LinkedIn with doing posts because apart from my mom I don't you know tend to get much much engagement obviously apart from wanting to do my dodgy polls do one-to-one if you're like me you're you know a little bit shy start off with the one-to-ones and see where it takes it as I said I'm, I'm working with a number of people I've met and others I've introduced to other people that I've met on there and I sort of also believe in you know pay it forward if you can help someone and you have that mindset to say okay tell me, how can I help you? I've got quite a few contacts out there. If I can put you in touch with someone, brilliant. And they'll, they'll be like, what can I do for you? And I'm like, that's cool. You know, let's keep in touch. And, and sometimes just going in with that mindset of don't ask for anything and just be a good person and do good things, I think is, you know, you get your reward anyway. So and maybe that's the thing, because I'm obviously like super old now and had a long career and maybe that that's a bit easier. But yeah, be yourself, be humble and it pays for itself. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the studio. 
but you're not going to believe it. The reason that we're talking today is because I went on that journey on Lunch Club. I met a, a person in London and he's like, that's a really interesting story. I need to introduce you to this chap called Tyrone, who's based in Canada. Like you, he kind of went from corporate and he has a portfolio career now. I'm sure you're getting like a house on fire. Next week, I had a call with Tyrone and Tyrone's like, that's a really interesting story. I need to introduce you to this American guy. And he just so happens to be in the UK for the next couple of years. And that was Dr. Eric, obviously one of the, the founders of the studio. And so I had a call with Dr. Eric. Next week, we had a coffee. And a couple of weeks later, you know, I was meeting the founder and the investors and obviously Dr. Eric and all sorts. And that was my journey into, into the studio. And again, it was nothing forced. We just kind of, you know, got to know each other and we just shared the same passions. And, and I kind of knew from that moment on, this is the last thing I want to do in my career. Yeah, it's so fantastic, you know, for people to hear that story. There's so many great things to unpack. Like, first of all, the curiosity is keep putting yourself out there. A habit, if you will, of 350 calls over two years. So that's only every other day, pretty much, right? Where you're spending time with people, though, you know, learning a bit about them as much as you're learning about yourself and how to, you say, present yourself or present the topics that you're curious about to other people to see if connection happens. That's a really great skill. How do you share your story about what you're interested in to like connect with people and that's a really fascinating way to like do a discovery process. As you say, like you hone it, but you also find ways to like surface information from other people you're meeting and to find out what they're interested about. Or if they're not the person who in their network might be the person to put you on the a next sort of crumb trail, if you will, to sort of where you're ultimately hoping to go. And like, you know, what's fascinating then as well for me is like, here we are now on this podcast, whatever it is, like 351 <laughs> calls now. We're talking about this stuff because you have found, obviously, Dr. Eric Reese, who was on the podcast, people would remember before. But to sort of dive in then and find someone who cares about the things you care about, has a very keen interest in the way you want to build companies, you have got through all that process to find Nobody Studios, which is Fabulous, right? And it's so fascinating again to me. It's like everybody who's come to the studio, it's one of these things they've learned it. It's almost like a whisper in the corridor or, you know, people have said to, you know, have you heard about this thing? What's happening over here called Nobody Studios? It's, it's a group of people, sort of rural venture studio trying to build companies at high velocity and they're doing something different. Like this is sort of what brings people in. To our story as a studio, we don't have a big marketing team. We don't have a podcast in the studio. It's, it's all sort of word of mouth networks, people yeah. that have been connected so far. And yet the vibrancy of the people we have connected to the journey is amazing, right? And they're all coming in with really good intent and trying to make things better. And it's very special. This is the sort of excitement, right? And your contribution to the studio is in many ways, going to help understand when people can bring all these ideas to the studio, how those people can feel heard, how they can feel connected, how they can contribute to other ideas that we're going to be working on in the studio. So it's very interesting to hear like your own story of almost asking the crowd now, what do you think about this? 
what do you think about this? So share a little bit more about the excitement you're feeling and some of the things that, uh, you know, you're starting to percolate in your mind about how to go about doing that. Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing was I just love the process and that there wasn't actually a process. It was just super sort of casual getting to meet, you know, the various team members and just how genuine they were. And then when I would sort of, you know, go back home and then I'd, I'd Google the, the individual and, and find out, oh, my God, they have done some amazing, amazing things. You know, some of the most senior people that I've met, but so humble. I mean, when I met Mark, our chief nobody, he literally spent two hours sitting next to me just chewing the fat and, you know, talking about topics and telling his story. It was the same when I met the Edge Brothers from Thought Former, humblest people I could ever, ever be happy to meet. And it was the same thing with Dr. Eric, obviously, you know, at the conversations we've had. One of the things that when I knew we were going to have a conversation was I went on your website. I literally listened to every single video presentation that you did, your TED Talk style ones. And I thought, I can learn so much from you, your style, the topics, and how you kind of really engage the audience. And that's what I really used to love doing in the lab. When Mark said, actually, I think I've got the perfect role for you here. And I want you to look after the crowd and how we will filter those ideas. Being the sort of people person that I am, I thought, oh my God, all of a sudden I'm going to have like thousands of friends. And I really want to make sure that they're heard. We don't just like bin their ideas. How can we create little cohorts and say, actually, you're talking about this, you're talking about this. Let's group those together and let's iterate, et cetera. So just as I was doing, you know, back in the lab for, for Deloitte, it's just an extended family. And what's super exciting is it's across the world, right? It's not just one set of people. It's, you know, everyone from, you know, doesn't matter where they are, what their background is, everyone can have amazing ideas. And I think it's that if people feel as though they're, they're being heard, they will bring out themselves and, and be more sort of confident in, in bringing that out. So it's been really exciting. Just obviously, this is kind of week two for me, collaborating with you and the team around how are we actually going to do this? Imagine we're going to get 10,000 ideas. I can't go through, you know, that by myself. We're going to really need to think about how do we automate this? How do we make it super transparent and fair? So, so yeah, really excited to go on the journey. And every morning I wake up and say, oh, what about this? And, you know, out comes the mural. Thank you for teaching me that, by the way. And it goes on the flow diagram. And then it's like, okay, now we need to convert this into a system. So I'm really, really looking forward to, to how this journey continues. Yeah, like you say, and we're obviously delighted you're part of it, right? You bring your energy, your comedy, you know, like, again, I think as people will even start to see and get to know you even more, not just, you know, in the studio, but outside the studios, they bring people in, you know, like, this is sort of the environment we want to create where everybody feels that they can contribute. And as you say, when people feel heard, it just encourages them to go even deeper and so much of what the studio is about is about bringing crowd or making people feel part of something bigger than themselves. And, you know, imagine when we do our a crowdfunding, it's not necessarily to raise capital. It's to actually let talent own a piece of what we're all going to create together and volunteering their ideas, giving us feedback on the ideas we're working on, challenging them, turning up the noise on them when they're launched. Like that's all part of the engagement of people, you know, so. It's very excited to, you know, know how much you're going to contribute to the company and see what we're going to build. So looking ahead then for you, 
you know, you're obviously extremely excited about the role and the opportunity to bring all these ideas to the studio and bring people to the studio and, and their excitement to you. But what else is sort of, as you look out, it's, it's sort of lighting you up at the moment that you're, you're really focused on? Yeah, so obviously the, the, the studio and the ideas lab is kind of, you know, central to that, but already sort of thinking ahead in what could this even look like in the next few years, right? And I think my dream would be, why can't we recreate a physical spaces and hub, have hubs around the world, you know, idea labs for nobody studios around the world where people can come in and say, hey, you know, I've got an idea. And then we're like, okay, we've got some data scientists here. We've got some, you know, UX designers here. Let's crack it on. Someone in, in our Slack group recently suggested watching um, Playlist on Netflix, which is the Spotify story. So I've been watching that over the last few days and I'm like, I absolutely love the vibe. It's like quite chaotic, but everyone was on the same mission. And it was like every day there was sort of, you know, inventing new things. And it was part of the, just going on that journey was just as important as, you know, what the end results, obviously kind of the mission for creating a hundred compelling, you know, startups in the next five years and how audacious that is. But kind of, you know, I think part of the, something to be proud of is to have said, well, I've had a little, little say in, in how this company's progressed. And if, as I'm sure there will, we're going to have some rock star companies as part of that to say, yeah, that all started in, in the lab with uh, this post-it note that someone posted and look where we are now. That's an amazing story to tell your kids and your grandkids. Right on. I'm excited to be on it with you, man. I'm excited to tell the listeners out there who will be hopefully be on it with us as well. You know, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for sharing your journey and just being so humble and open about the challenges you've had to face and how you've grown along the way and how you always put yourself out there. And I think for anyone listening, that's going to be great inspiration for them. And I'm sure you're going to be hearing from plenty of them soon as well. Thank you very, thank you very much. My pleasure.